Welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, composers, book authors, you name it. We talk, sound editors, sound mixers, let's not forget our soundies, uh, film editors, we talk, we talk to them all. And today we're going to be doing some talking. I've been doing a lot of talking uh, the past couple weeks. I wasn't here last week because I was in Vegas at the National Association of Broadcasters Convention and uh, for the 100th anniversary of NAB. And I have to tell you, there is some really incredible technology happening. Uh, a, a lot of the exhibitors at the convention were discussing AI. Um, so, And that is the wave of the future in many respects. A lot of robotic stuff um, and some really incredible new cameras. I can't wait to talk to filmmakers after they use the new Sony Venice 2. Uh, some really nice, nice stuff down the pike that all of you, when you see movies and TV shows, will be reaping the benefits of. And of course, just prior to getting on the plane, I wrapped up TCM Film Festival. It was an amazing festival. It rained on the opening night red carpet, but that did not dampen the spirits of those who were there. Danny Houston, I think, said it best. It's only spitting rain. No big deal. Uh, to see a slew of my red carpet interviews, they're all up on Behind the Lens Online on YouTube and BehindTheLensOnline.net. Um, so go check them out. If you're going through TCM Film Festival withdrawal, perfect time. Check out the interviews. Uh, Danny Houston, sound guru, Oscar winner, Ben Burt, uh, Tom Berenger. Sherry Belafonte, um, Lynn Shea, just some of my faves. Uh, and, of course, director Alexander Payne. Really, some really great interviews on the carpet um, and, a and an incredible festival. So check those out. And now we, w we gear up for next year. But right now we're going to gear up for Behind the Lens today. And I'm very excited about the two guests we have calling in today. First up is director, producer, and editor Dawn Mickelson to talk about her newest film. She's a busy woman. She's got like two films floating around out there right now, two documentaries, Finding Her Beat, but today we're going to focus on Minnesota Mean, Women's Roller Derby, Flat Track Roller Derby. And while this is set in the world of roller derby this really speaks to the camaraderie and the empowerment of women and female friendships um, it's amazing I cannot wait to speak with Dawn about that and then at the midpoint of the show very excited about this guest Chaz Bono is joining us he's got a new film out as well Bury the Bride it's a horror film, uh, and it's fun. 
It's horror. There's some scary moments. It's fun. And I love Chaz's character in the film. But those, our regular listeners, you may remember a couple years ago uh, when writer-director Ivo Raza was on the show talking about Reboot Camp. And one of the strong points of that film is Chaz Bono's performance. Uh, I did not get to speak with Chaz about that film, so you know I'm going to ask him about it today as well. But right now, she is with us. Dawn Mickelson is here. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you for having me. It's so glad to be here. I am so thrilled to speak with you. I don't know if Annie even told you when she sent me the first blast about Minnesota Mean, I wrote back and I said, oh, my God. I love roller derby. Growing up in Yay! growing up in Philadelphia in the 60s every Sunday on on UHF it was generally on channel 29 or 48 um, there was roller derby and I was a die hard Philadelphia Warriors fan and the female captain was the blonde bomber Judy Arnold. Uh, That's so great. And it was bank track, not flat track. So right. there was a lot yeah. of a lot of whipping going on and a lot of people going over the rails <laughs> <laughs> onto the cement floor of the sports center. But oh, man. I just have such fond memories. I was always glued, glued to the TV watching roller derby. And I didn't discriminate. My brothers would be there with me and we would watch the men and the women. Uh, nice. But... So now for your film to come along, it was like, Annie, I know, I love roller derby. <laughs> I have to talk to Dawn. <laughs> yay. I, this, this is, I love roller derby too. Well, yay. Um, <laughs> it's, I found it striking watching this to see the difference between the basic fundamentals between bank track and flat rink are the same. Um, but you really see a difference in the physicality when you don't have that banking to really build up speed that you get on a right. bank track. So it was interesting where it it's more strength in numbers, in positioning defensively so that your jammer can get around. Right, uh, that makes sense. So I found that really interesting, just the mechanics but more interesting uh, with Minnesota Mean are the women. And you really focus on the women. We meet all of them. Granted, one group more, you know, more than others. But sure. we hear from all of them. And what really comes through is the confidence, the drive, the camaraderie the friendships that are built through this sport. And you see, I haven't seen this in among women, be it in, in soccer or softball, but you really bond because this is such a connective physical sport uh, that it involves closeness and, com and camaraderie. You're not 50 yards apart on a field somewhere. Right. Uh, so, you know, how did you even 
I just I just love it. And you have did a perfect year. Twenty seventeen. You follow the Minnesota Mean on their hopes to which of course ends in for the championships in Philadelphia. Um but twenty <laughs> twenty seventeen was such a key year for this team. There were a lot a lot of big things happening to these women in twenty seventeen. <laughs> So you picked yeah, a good I don't year. Know if I saw all those things coming. <laughs> that was it. You were very prescient. You knew this was going to happen, right? You knew this would be the year. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Um, <laughs> How? I do think that you know, making documentary, you know, particularly around roller derby, there's bound to be great stories. There's just you know, powerful women living large, doing doing their lives without fear. Yep leads to big stories but yes 2017 was in fact a very big year <laughs> even within roller derby <laughs> especially this team uh right. it's so many things you know how did this story what get, was the impetus for you to decide to do a documentary on women's roller derby well you know I, my my friend lisa she uh, joined the Minnesota Roller Derby in, I don't remember what year it was, but it was shortly before this, and she was 40, and she started playing other, under the name Bernasty, and I thought to myself, Lisa's crazy, um, you know, <laughs> she's going to hurt herself, and she did, but uh, you, she wasn't crazy. She, she as to your point, found this community of women who are so powerful and so um, connected with one another. I mean, you know, they have, they have their differences. It's not like this world is perfect. Right. But it, it is the type of world that I would love to see my daughters be a part of. You know, I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old and, you know, women who take up space and are not ashamed of it. Um, it's a world I want to hang out in. So in 2017, I pitched it to the team and said, I want to do a series on you guys. Uh, and I started pitching the concept to various networks and then filming the team as we went. And somewhere around mid-season, um, my pitches did not land with mm-hmm. the networks. But the team was still amazing. And the, what, the footage we had was just so compelling. I was like, I want to finish this season. And it'll be a film instead. Hey. <laughs> so that's what it became. Well, it's a darn, I'm so glad you did. It's a darn good thing that you did. Um, Thank you. You know, as and I and I love the fact your friend Lisa at forty because you have that one. There's a really great scene in there where they're sitting around in the hotel room and they're eating candy out of baggies and all kinds of junk. And she goes, "Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm forty, you know." <laughs> and they're all like, "Ooh, you're so old this year." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the humor, the humor, and the respect and love they all have for each other really comes across in this film Don. Thank you. It really does. I, mean, I think that's what's fun about derby is it's it's a serious sport but also they run around with names like Bernasty and Smokahanas yeah. and you know Shiver Me Kimbers and you know they have a sense of humor about themselves which is very um it, it's a breath of fresh air I think. Yeah. But then you we get to to meet these women and, you know, they're off hours. You even involve husbands here. We've got some very <laughs> supportive husbands involved. Right? Wow. Husbands are awesome. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, As are the Derby wives. We don't see a lot of them in this film, but yeah, Derby spouses, man. Uh, just, uh, you know, uh, that just amazed me. Um, we've got a hus- we've got husbands training with their wives, uh, you know, supporting them, looking like total total fan geeks at the matches, <laughs> painting themselves like most people would do at a football game or something. Um, yep, it it is just amazing the community that you expose us to. And then to meet each of these women up close and personal and to see who they are and what they do, like Smokahontas, and you take us to her roots and to her indigenous community and her involvement there and how being in Derby has given her the push to be more community-oriented with her indigenous people. Right. Uh, you know, we see injury, broken ankle. Oh, well. Oh, well, physical therapist said I could skate, but I don't think they know what exactly roller derby is. But I'm going to skate anyway. It is just <laughs> the humor that comes out, Dawn, uh, is amazing. It is amazing. Hey. But, you know, and you very kindly give us a great epilogue. For these women so that we see where they are and what and gaining the empowerment and the confidence through derby where it the path it put them on we have educational administrators politicians i just (laughs) community level um which is a good level (laughs) exactly but no, I think a lot of them, you know, attribute Derby to leadership training in mm-hmm. many ways. And actually, the the teacher you were, or the woman you were talking about, the administrator, she, uh, you know, when start, she started Derby, she didn't know what she wanted to do for her career, and learned by teaching other players how to play Derby that she was a really good teacher. And she became a high school Spanish teacher because of Derby, and now and is now an administrator. You know, it's that's all because of Derby. And yes. it changes their lives. Yeah, and some once they hang up their skates, they go on to become mothers, which <laughs> which is really interesting because in your interviews with a lot of of the women, some are talking about wanting to be a mother one day. Yeah. Um, and would they be able to balance it? Do they want to give up this life of derby, which they find so fulfilling? Um, uh, you know, you really they really opened up in here. And I love the way you've structured this documentary, Dawn. Um, I know you were also editing, but you don't pepper us with talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head. You focus. That's good. I'm glad you feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. You give each girl her due. You intercut beautifully between track time, training time, personal time. Uh, it's very, very well constructed from an editorial standpoint. I have to tell you, uh, it just kept, I was, I was disappointed when the film ended to be quite honest. That's because it could be a series. Just saying. Yes, it could be. It very well could be. Uh, and I have to say, I have to hand it to my editors. I brought in three additional editors who, 
just who their strength is sports documentary, Mm -hmm. um, working for major networks and major streamers doing sports work, uh, because there is a particular feeling about sports gameplay and how it's edited. And I knew that I was not in a position to do that. So I brought in some amazing people. And then I also um, had Doug Blush, who has been a consultant on the last couple of films that I've made, um, to really, yeah, tighten that. Because I I think that as much as I I love getting kudos as a director, I also feel like this is also a leadership position and that you're only as good as the people that you work with. Mm -hmm. And I, I brought some great people in and it, it, I'm just so happy to be able to do that. <laughs> I mean, it's it is tight, um, but it is. It's edited with this great flow, and I have to I have to say, your cinematographer, who I know passed away, Jim's mm. camera work, and those are your camera <laughs> operators. Um, yeah. Some of that footage, wheel shots of you know just wheels going around the track. Uh, some of the interpersonal uh, elbowing, shall we say, <laughs> during a meet, during a match. Um, it's very, it, you can really get, there's nice angle coverage there. <laughs> yeah. No, we learned very early on that uh, the Jim and um, Nana, who did a lot of the additional uh, footage once we got to the higher levels of competition, that, yeah, focusing closely on the people and, you know, really just getting those emotional pieces was key. We could figure out how to put the game together, but we couldn't recreate that emotional piece. So let's, let's focus on that while Mm. we're shooting these games. And that's really important. And there's some great footage in there. As you see the, the exasperation when somebody knows, um, you know, they did not a jammer, did not make mm. it through and score points. And you see the personal exasperation and disappointment in themselves. The, it's the, yeah. damn, I should have had that. I could have done better. But mm-hmm. then in the next second, and this is from Switch. In particular, we really see <laughs> that with Switch. And, but then we've got the pep talk. No, you did good, but let yourself go. Let yourself go. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this constant support of each other that really comes out even mm-hmm. if it means taking the fall so that somebody else can get into a blocking position uh, right. it's it, watching them engage and it's good camera work that captures that and then it's <laughs> it's good editing that then knows how to let it show the emotional aspect of this story Thank you very much. It's interesting you bring up the um, the the team nature of it uh, from that perspective of having watched it in the 70s, because I do think that one of the keys to being good on the track is to keep talking to one another. And they yeah. say that a number of times. We don't really get into it in the film, but it's said in, you know, the locker room, like, keep talking. And it's because that communication, that connection between the d- various players on the track, that's what's, you know, one of the main things that's going to decide how they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, this sport is unique in that. And it's it's dependent on people communicating well, while also, you know, knocking people down. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> it's both. 
But, yeah. you know, what I love about the constant communication is the fact, and we see it play out, they've got five jammers. They lose one um, <laughs> due to a broken ankle. <laughs> you know, you've got to have people that you can trade out, rest, do this, that, or the other. Somebody, you've got utility players. The only way utility skaters are going to know what to do is if they're constantly speaking with somebody else. It's like, okay, right. I need you to, you need to block here because a blocker is tied up. Um, mm-hmm. th- so everybody, they really, that communication is so important. Absolutely. And we really see that and we feel that. And even off, you know, off the rink, they're all <laughs> communicating. You know, eat milking cows maybe, but they're communicating. <laughs> Talk to, you got to talk to me, Don, about this, going to the cattle barn um, <laughs> and doing this publicity thing and milking cows. What you know, possessed I say, you? I think, <laughs> I think that uh, being in Minnesota, if you don't film at the state fair, you've missed out because the Minnesota State Fair is just its own thing. Um, you know, and also I think that it was important to see that the team functions as any other professional team. They're at Sports Central at the State Fair. So they're there with the Minnesota Lynx and the Minnesota Timberwolves and all the different like professional sports teams uh, meeting fans and doing the silly uh, cow milking contest. Um, but they're doing it their own way, right? You know, like instead of handing out flyers and T-shirts, they're giving people uh, tattoos, you know, yeah. fake tattoos. And they're milking cows with a little bit of flourish. Um <laughs> Yeah. To say the they're, least. They're doing everything their own way. But now let me ask you, were any of the Timberwolves milking cows? Not this year. Apparently the St. Paul Saints, which is a um, semi-professional uh, or, you know, lower level but professional baseball mm-hmm. team does. But, yeah, I did not see the Timberwolves milking this year. Yeah, I think, I think, they're, <laughs> I think they're triple A ball. I think they might be triple A. Uh, yes. Yeah, triple A ball. But, yep. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious. You see them being goofy girls, yeah. Right. Not not a comp, not professional athletes, but being goofy girls. It's the kind of stuff that you would do in junior high school with your girlfriends if you're at a farm. You know, oh, <laughs> you know, learn how to milk a cow, and it's it's just too funny. And to see the well, little, I think that's it's. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's the things that you do when you're younger and then culture tells you you, you need to be mature. You need to not uh, be silly, not be playful, because now you are a, a woman. <laughs> and I, I, it's another thing that I love about Derby is they're just like, I can be a funny lady. Like, that's great. Let's be funny ladies. Um, they're, the, the cultural influence on Derby players about Things around gender is just different, and it's a world that, you know, again, I, I would love to live in all the time without skating because I actually am afraid of skating, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I, I actually learned how to roller skate when I was um, um, 18. <laughs> okay, nice. I, I, I could make it around a track and not fall down. Mm-hmm. That's as far as, as my skating ability ever went. You know, <laughs> around the, and thank God, you know, in ice skating, they got toe picks. Well, 
Roller yeah. skates, they have the big flat ball at the front, toe ball, that you can put down to stop yourself. Um, right. <laughs> that's as far as I got. I'm with you. I like the world. I like the sport. But I'm not getting there. I'm not going out there. But it's really <laughs> fun to vicariously right. watch these people, these individuals. Um, and, and to your point of the, the toe stopper, oh, my gosh, watching them pivot on those toe stops when they're <sighs> playing – I never thought that those were for anything more than stopping. Yeah. But you can see them spinning around on their toe stops to get where they need to go. And it's just so fun to watch. Well, and you even you show us the mechanics, too, in terms of, you know, the wheel. Don't like the wheel, the feel of a wheel and changing out wheels. And, you know, <laughs> this it, they're very technically oriented as well. It's not just throw yep. on your roller skates uh, and get out there. You need right wheel right. balance, and we see that. And I like the different colors of the wheels um, because I think it's indicative to them when they're moving quickly and have to change something out that, mm. you know, uh, one color might be like one kind of tension, you know, et cetera, et cetera, some t- kind of friction. Uh, I'm not sure. But that's kind of what it looked like as they were deciding what wheel to put on. Yeah. Yeah, there's a different wheel for different surfaces, and, you know, it's kind of like cross-country skiing. That's probably not a great reference because a lot of people don't do that, but I cross-country ski, and there's a different wax for different types of snow, and, you know, that's just kind of how it goes with, with skating, too, is there's a different type of wheel for pavement versus a sport um, mm-hmm. court, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, and, of course, you know, I love how you bookend this documentary, and you've got everybody running up the art museum steps in Philadelphia. The ultimate, <laughs> that is the ultimate metaphor for achievement and accomplishment. I'm glad you'd recognize the space. I don't know if everybody does, but it makes me happy. <laughs> I think everybody knows just, well, I know just from the steps. I have been up them many, 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 many times in my life. Um, yeah. It gets a lot harder to go up them, though, as you get older. Just a point of reference. That's the rumor. I but yeah, no, everybody knows those steps. Those are internationally known. So the minute you yeah. the camera widens out a bit and you see the front of the, the art museum, everybody knows exactly where they are. Oh, and good. <laughs> and that is you know, it's what everybody dreams of to mount those rocky steps and and you know, get to the top. And Right. I just thought that was such a beautifully poignant and empowering and inspiring moment in the film for you to include that. Well, thank you. I I, just thank you. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. (laughs) You know, what was the most, you know, difficult part of getting this film made? Because I mean, it, you shot it in 2017. We, we obviously we had COVID, we had lockdown, we had all of this fun stuff, and now here it is, 2023, and we're just right. seeing it on the festival circuit. I mean, you've got Sunscreen Film Festival coming up at the end of this week on April 29th. Right. Um, what you know? What took so long? I would think people <laughs> would actually be chomping at the bit to pick this up for distribution. I'm serious. I'm with you on that. I, I'm with you on that. And I, 
I wish that um, that had been the life cycle of this film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, much like a roller derby player, uh, independent filmmaking is often a situation where you've got a lot of other gigs going on because there's no funding for the thing that you really care about. And, you know, I love this film, but the, the support just wasn't there from the industry. Mm-hmm. It was there from the players. It was there from Derby. Um, but I think that, um, you know, there were, it's difficult, quite frankly, to make a film in the sports genre that isn't about um, a major player of a major sport. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's what, what sells, or that's theoretically what sells. Um, and so the idea of going into this unknown, weird sport with a bunch of weird ladies from Minnesota, um, I don't think the market was ready for it in 2017. I hope it's ready for it now, uh, and I hope it's ready for it in the future, because this is, again, I, it blows my mind that it hasn't happened to a larger extent. There have been films about Derby, but, you know, not a lot. And no. Again, I just don't understand. I mean, we've had... <laughs> but I certainly hope somebody comes and distributes the heck out of this film and a, a subsequent series would be great. I mean, I'm looking <laughs> at this film and I'm seeing this uncorked entertainment is branching out. I think this would fit well with them, gra- with them Gravitas. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even Vertical. But the first, mm-hmm. the first distributor that popped into my mind on seeing this film was uncorked. Interesting. Um, I will look into that. <laughs> I, you know, I'll actually I'll give Annie information that I have on it so that you can so that you can reach out. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thank you. Just because when I find films like this at a festival level that I love so much and that I think deserve distribution, I'll do whatever I can to help get them, you know, in a position to at least be looked at. By some of these companies. Um, because this one, Minnesota Mean, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> it's inspiring. It's entertaining. And you've got women punching people. Right? Who doesn't want that? <laughs> uh, you know, you live for that. Now, after Sunscreen Film Festival, do you know where the film is going? I do have a number of festivals that are, you know, not announced yet. So I can't say. Um, but it will be screening uh, through the fall, at least, oh. at festivals. Um, and then we'll see what happens there. Again, it's that distribution yep. situation. And I think that, you know, regardless of what happens in that world, I will get it out there. Oh, It's just uh, a question of how and where. Yeah, that, right that's the only thing. Now, what's the website for, for the film so that people can check out there for where you're going to be on the festival circuit? Certainly. It's minnesotameanfilm.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And so, and actually those two places I will be posting much more frequently. Okay. Although, you know, all the announced screenings will go to the website as well. That is fabulous. Dawn, this has been so wonderful to have you on the show. Um, oh, I had a blast. You are so nice. <laughs> Not- <laughs> But also mean. I, I just realized I'm playing with the Minnesota mean concept. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm a gal from Philly. You know, you, you, got, great. you can't be too nice. You know, now I'm going to have to Absolutely. have you back on the show again to talk about finding her beat. I would love that. I would love to come on the show with my co-director and maybe Jennifer Weir, who is a powerhouse psycho player. And yeah. Yeah. I've got a slate of films of 
kick-ass ladies, and let's get them out there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to Annie about getting you back on the show to talk about finding her beat as well. So, Wonderful. That's oh, awesome. Dawn, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank and you. We will talk sooner rather than later. Sounds great. I will look forward to it. Thanks so much, Thank Dawn. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Dawn Mickelson, Minnesota Mean. It's coming, folks, and it's well worth the watch. It's a quick 80 minutes. And now I am beyond excited to welcome this wonderful gentleman to the show. Chaz Bono, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very excited to be speaking with you. I have been watching your film career and television career. Um, I went nuts over your performance in Reboot Camp as Herbert. Oh, thank you. That was, that was a fun movie, Chaz. It was a fun movie. And yeah. I thought Camp you, was great. And I thought you were wonderful. I had Ivo on the show. Um, and I kept telling him how good you were. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, granted, you had David Lipper, who's like stealing the show. Of course, why shouldn't yeah. he? But, you know, your character of Herbert was so standout. I Amidst you. all of these cameo appearances uh, of people popping up in there. With Ketchner yeah. and Ed Bagley Jr. and Eric Roberts, of course, Eric's in everything. Of course, I don't see him in Bury the Bride. Yeah, uh, let's just. No, he's not in Bury the Bride. Yeah, you know, Kip Tribble. Kip is just a, a horror icon, but he was in Reboot Camp. Um, yep. But I have just so enjoyed watching you and the choices that you have made with your on-screen roles. Well, thank you. You know, how do you, let me start by asking you, how do you even decide what roles you're going to take? Because they're very um, eclectic. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's really, it's just about the script and mm -hmm. the character that, you know, I'm asked to play. And if it's if it's a good script and, um, you know, I like the character, I see something you know, that I can bring to the part and, and I'd like to do different stuff, you know, as often as possible. So that's probably why the diversity is in it, but that's, that's pretty much it. Just, you know, I'm just looking for good scripts with good characters. Well, then that begs the question, what was it about the character of puppy in, or Andrew, as he likes to be called, yeah. uh, that appealed to you in Bury the Bride. I love your performance in this role. Thank you. Because so much of it is just its facial expressiveness yeah. is what sells the character, and you do it so well, Chaz. Thank you. So, you know, this was, this was a really different one because I, I don't talk through much of the <laughs> film. And, I mean, the, the honest story is when Chrissy first said you know i want you to play puppy i'd already come on as a producer i you know i was like puppy puppy doesn't speak you want me to play puppy you know as an actor i'm used to speaking and um she said to me look you please trust me on this this is going to be a, a you know a really pivotal character in the story and um when you do finally speak it's going to 
you know, it's going to be an incredible moment and it's, it's going to be, you know, it, it just, you know, just trust me. And, uh, and she was absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I found it a, a challenging in a different way because I had to kind of, you know, tell puppy's story without, you know, with just facial expressions mm-hmm. and body language and everything. And, you know, hope that when, when I finally do tell my story, the audience will kind of look back and be like, okay, you know, that guy makes a, a little sense now. Well, I have to tell you, as I'm watching the film unfold and I'm seeing how David and his cohorts are treating puppy. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, nah, nah, he's not one of them. Something's going to happen. We're going to see, we're going to see more from puppy. And I was actually, I was cheering at the screen when puppy spoke and we find out, you know, my name is Andrew. I don't want to be called puppy. <laughs> and this very emotional, uh, you know, it's a very pivotal scene in the film. And for yeah. your character, and I'm not going to give away spoilers, but puppy really deserved to have, you know, more than he got in this film. Let me tell you. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> I was so, I love the character so much. And then the payoff that you give us is excellent, Chaz. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, that... Now, in working with Spider-One as your director, Mm -hmm. how much direction did he give you or did he allow you to develop this character? Because Puppy is very internalized since he's allegedly a mute. Um, Right. So, yes, Spider is is a, is great to work with because he does give you a, a lot of he gave me a lot of you know room I, but I think all the actors um, you know we had such an amazing cast and and um, you know so he didn't have to do that much with us I mean he would redirect you know here and there but he's he's definitely a, a generous director to actors I just now. When you got involved as a, you came in as a producer first, were you yeah. were you involved with any of the casting and all? Because I know you were a very hands-on producer with your becoming Chaz uh, right. project. I, I did. I I brought um, uh, two of the other gentlemen uh, were were people that I I knew um, the the kind of lead uh, ma- uh, you know male role of David mm-hmm. is. is one of my closest friends, Dylan Rourke. Dylan Rourke. Um, we met in acting class eleven years ago, and uh, and then uh, the character of Bobby is played by uh, Cameron Copperface, mm-hmm. and uh, we did American Horror Story together. Wow! So see, it is so those, it those is are who my you contributions. Know. It is who and, you and know. Really, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I mean, the, one of the nice things about our cast was um, e- either myself or Spider and Chrissy had worked with, you know, every actor except for one in this film. So, it you know, made for, uh, I think, a, a very tight, you know, close-knit uh, set. Mm-hmm. And, and we all got along, you know, with each other really well. And I think that kind of camaraderie you know in this film shows i think the camaraderie be- between the women definitely yeah. is, is such an integral part of 
of this film and, and their relationships. And then, you know, I think you also get the feeling with the guys that, with the exception of my character, everybody is, you know, incredibly integral to each other. Yeah, but, you know, everybody needs somebody to pick on. It's like the little brother. Right. Yeah, you got to have the bottom of the food chain. And that's kind of how they treat puppy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's funny, you, you know, it, I think you made a reference to height, but that was some of, one of the things we talked about, too, was that, you know, everybody, you know, most of, you know, Adam, who, who plays Mike, is just, he's a, he's a mammoth guy. Yeah. And, you know, Dylan's 6'2", and Cameron's <laughs> like six feet. So I was literally... You know the little the little one of the group that you know it makes sense that they I was the outcast and pushed around and everything. You were the little brother. Yeah, the little brother they didn't deserve. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, with a film because it it's small, it's compact. Um, yeah, you're in one location. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah, have? Yeah, we we shot all uh, and we shot in Lancaster, California. And we shot on one property, and and they had, the property had all of the different you know buildings and uh, uh, that we were in from you know obviously the main house, but the the little um, kind of other house that they run to where they find me mm-hmm. um, is there, and then that really cool trailer thing was like that a double decker trailer. So yeah, the trailer was the nicest thing on this property. I have to say, it, uh, it was <laughs> neither house is, and especially the one the girls rent this or, or go there yeah. for this bachelorette party, and it's like this is what you this is your plan for a bachelorette party this this yeah ramshackle it, dump. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, the the house really it was it was perfect um, for that. And it, it, you know, it, it was probably one of the most oppressive dwellings I've ever stepped into. It had incredibly low ceilings. It was, you know, old and dusty and uh, absolutely perfect for a house that you walk into and know this is not going to go well. <laughs> but the only one who thought that it that it would go well was uh, Lindsay's character of Carmen. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, no, and... and... And Lindsay's absolutely, you know, brilliant in this movie. She, she is. She adds so much, you know, needed levity. And um, and she was, yeah, she was amazing. And her character is, is uh, you know, is just, it, I just love Carmen. Carmen is, is a really fun character. And, yeah. of course, you're thinking somebody slap her upside her head. Uh, right. But still, she's the kind you always have to have in a party, in a quote-unquote party setting. Exactly. You got to have at least one person like that, um, and that's yeah, that's no. that's one of the great things with the characters in this film, Chaz. And did you was this an, an appeal to you when you came as as a producer? Obviously, you're reading the, the whole script and you're seeing all these right. different characters, and all of the girls are very yeah. different. They're very different, and they're not a group you would expect to be friends, and yet they right. are. 
And that really struck yeah. me. I mean, it, when I read the script, I, I literally could visualize, you know, the movie as I was reading the script, which, you know, doesn't usually happen to me when I'm reading a script. And, um, and I loved, you know, I loved the relationship between this, this group of women. I, I, it felt very, you know, real to me, their relationships. You know, there was, there was conflict, you know, at times, mm-hmm. but ultimately you can tell these, these women really, you know, love and care about each other. And when, you know, things start to go south, that, you know, they are there fighting for each other's lives. So I I really like that about the script. Um, I I mean I I don't want to give away. Yeah, we don't. Spoilers, we don't. But yeah. I, I like the twists and turns of yes. this. Uh, you know, there are some there's some you know there's some some great reveals in the movie, and I I really love the ending. And I'm not going to say what it is. Oh, but that kind of the, blew me away. Yeah, that ending and the way it ends, and then. Spider just does a cut to black. Yeah. And you're, you're thinking, because other scene transitions were also cut to black and the next scene, which right. I thought was really interesting. So when it cuts to black, I thought, okay, we're getting something else. No, that was yeah. it. And I'm going, sequel, sequel? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's it's... It's ripe for a sequel, and I I really hope you know people are you know get out there and are and are watching it on Tubi now, where it's where it's already out. And um, I mean, so far we we feel like we're doing great. I I just found out that we won the audience award at Panic Fest. Well, congratulations! Um, That's wonderful. Thank you. Now, so yeah. Now, while you were people sh- are no, oh, go ahead, Chaz. No, please, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I'm curious, because of the nature of this and the interaction among the characters, did you guys get much rehearsal time for this film? And were you allowed, did Spider let you ad-lib? Not a whole lot that you Um, could have ad-libbed, other than, you know, your face and movement. But did he give you, everyone, that opportunity? We didn't, so we made this film in a week. Are you serious? So I'm serious, yes. Not even 14 days. This is one week. Seven days. Wow. So mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of time for, for you know, extra ad-libs and even uh, a lot of takes of, of scenes. You know, we just, you pretty much, you know, you got your coverage in, in each scene and, and, that was about all you, you we had room for. We we shot twelve pages a day. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. Wow, you were moving at a pace. Yeah, and, and again, we were just so blessed with this amazing cast that we could do that. Yeah, that's you don't always get that lucky. Now, are these type yeah. of things that things that because I am hoping that you're going to be diving more into producing, as well as doing I more am. acting. Um, yes, um, we're already in pre-production on the next um, film that that Spire wrote and is going to uh, direct. So, um, yeah, that and I'm I'm going to produce that and and also 
you know, have a part in it as well. You know, well, that's why you become a producer, so you can make sure you cast yourself. Exactly. You know, you, you, you got to look yeah. out. You got to look out. Now, what is it about producing that appeals to you that makes you w- want to, you know, keep doing that uh, and expanding I, your range? Right. It's really because it's, you know, it's it's hard to get work as an actor in L.A. I mean, in this in this business, it's still a challenge. And so for me, uh, you know, producing is 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 a way that um, I can have some control over my career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't like waiting around for other people. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you see yourself uh, ever stepping into, because you're already an author, do you see yourself stepping into writing screenplays, perhaps? Um, so I, I probably, I mean, there's, you know, Chrissy and I have a project that we are, you know, is, is there that we're going to hopefully write at some point together. I am somebody who's really good with story and plot, but not, I don't write the best dialogue, mm-hmm. so um, you know maybe that will start to change. But uh, yeah, so I could definitely see collaborating with with people, um, you know, more and more in the future. It, you know, I'm for years. My manager had been telling me, you know, encouraging me. You got to start creating content, and you can't depend on other people. You yeah. got to do this yourself. This is how the business is now. And, um, and it was really the, the greatest advice that anybody ever gave me. So, you know, I hope to be doing, uh, you know, just producing and eventually, you know, doing writing and stuff, uh, going forward. Uh, you know, this is, I think this is for me the best way that I can, uh, uh, shape and, you know, further my career mm-hmm. uh- to do what I love to do. It'll, now, I know that you're second generation uh, in the industry, and have you found that, because most people, I'm sure they think, Chaz Bono, everybody will want to hire him. Does the, <laughs> does the name, you know what I'm talking about, there are so many people there, it's like Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas, yeah, Michael's going right. to get hired, or even Cameron, yeah, we're, they're all going to get hired because they're part of the Douglas dynasty. Or something along those lines. Has it been a help yeah. or a hindrance <laughs> to be a, to, um, to be Chaz Bono? Yeah, for me, it's it's been kind of different, I, and I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it's, it's that I started acting later in life. I, I don't know if it's because I am an actor who happens to be transgender. But um, yeah, I don't get hired a lot, so. I have to, you know, work to help make my own opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always, a, you know, a lot of people, they just assume when you are the offspring of somebody already established and famous that something's yeah. going to get handed to you. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's not been my experience, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you, know and, you know, being transgender in this day and age, there's so much talk out there about casting and whatnot, but you are being cast in all kinds of roles, Chaz. You're not... Well, yeah. Uh, you know, that's I, what... That's, I, I really love um, 
is that you, it doesn't matter what the role, you can do it, you can play it. Yeah, well, you know, I, it it was never, you know, I never, I mean, my intention or what I wanted my career to be was to just play transgender characters. I really, you know, think of myself as a character actor and, Mm -hmm. and what I really love about what I do is being able to disappear into people that are you know, it's completely different for me as possible. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hope at some point the industry starts to change and, um, you know, starts hiring more trans actors to play this part. But I, I find myself in the industry in kind of a strange place, which I don't really get hired for trans parts because, I, I mean, I, I don't know what trans looks like, but apparently, you know, I'm not that. Um, or, uh, you know, or what the industry thinks trans looks like. Um, and 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 then for, you know, uh, you know bigger production stuff, I, I think most people are just like, well, why should I hire this guy? You know, this isn't a transgender part. Yeah, you're kind of caught so, between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, a little bit. So... So, yeah, so I'm, you know, trying to, uh, you know, really focus my career now more on horror, which I find that that community and that genre, you know, very accepting and where it really, you know, doesn't seem to matter that I'm an actor who happens to be trans. And, um, you know, and it's it's a, a place that I, you know, just love the genre I love working in and and. I've always been a huge fan of as well. Well, you know, come on. When you get to go to work and play with fake blood and things, what's better than that? It's it, nothing. <laughs> you know, this, that's what yeah. makes horror so fun. It's, Absolutely. You, you can play with rubber knives. You can play with fake blood. You get to have corpses yeah. and, and, you know, decapitations. And it's no harm, no foul. <laughs> Nobody really gets yeah. hurt. Nobody gets hurt. No, yeah, uh, it, uh, yeah, it's it, it really. I mean, it's you know, for me as a, as an actor, I, um, you know, I love work. You know, the characters that are are in um, horror scripts. I mean, they, I just get to play all different types of roles. You know, I can I can be really scary and and you know really bad guy, and then you know I can like I, I've got a film coming out later this year called The Bellkeeper. And then, and that one, I'm, you know, a good guy and a little bit of the comic relief. Ooh. So, well, that sounds like fun. It is. Yeah, it is. It's a super fun film. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for it to come out. I, I think it's going to be sometime in October. So. Oh my gosh. Well, now let me ask you: in your capacity as a producer, do you see yourself mm-hmm. as hopefully being able to? you know, blur that line and get rid of that line for, uh, for casting transgender actors? Um, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we, uh, we are really interested in the best person for the job. And Mm -hmm. that's honestly how, you know, we get tapes in and whoever gives the, the best performance and, and, um, you know, is right for the part is, is who we hire. So I could definitely see, you know, hiring an, another trans actor um, and, you know, having them not play trans. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love I love the fact you said you hire the best person for the job. Because yeah. so often today it's not that it's a we have a percentage of we have to have X Right. You know, X other, X white, X black, X Asian. Um, it's very formulaic. And that person might not yeah. be the right person. Yeah, I mean it definitely there, there definitely seems to be a lot of that you know, going on now and, and, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard and it can be, you know, frustrating. And, um, I mean, I'm thrilled the the diversity of actors that are, are working right now. Um, but yeah, I I mean, to me, it's, it's, I wish everybody would just see, you know, if, if the, if the role didn't call for a specific, um, you know, race or gender or or something. You know, I I wish that people just see everybody for a role. Yeah, and then just you know, to just cast the person who does the best job and is <laughs> the closest to the director's idea of the character. I always thought that's how the world worked when you go to work. You hire the best person yeah. for the job. <laughs> yeah. So now, do you have a dream project yet that you want to do, Jazz? I do kind of. <laughs> oh, tell um, me. Uh, my my dream project is to is to play a serial killer. Uh, I um, before I was able to get film and TV work, I did I did the, a lot of theater, and I ended up producing uh, a play that is it's called Down the Road, and it's it's by Lee Blessing, and it's a. Uh, um, it's an older. He wrote it in like the eighties, and it's um, it's about a husband and wife writing team who come out to interview a serial killer in, in his prison uh, for the for a biography about him, and um, and it's kind of a psychological thriller. He just you know just through talking with them and telling his stories, um, he ends up just completely invading their life, their marriage, their world. Uh, and it was honestly the most fun I've ever had acting. So that is my, my dream is to do something where I get to play a serial killer again. Well, I mean, that story right there is fascinating to me. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe you could get the rights and, and turn it into a film. I've tr- I've actually tried that and not been successful. Oh. So I think it's it's going to have to be a um, you know something uh, uh, original. Well, but that- you know I've got I've got great you know writing partners in in Christine Spider and um, so you know some one of our films at some point is going to is going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that one. Now, quickly, I yeah. got to ask you. You mentioned. You did a lot of theater before you got into te- TV and film. Do you mm-hmm. find that your theater experience was a good training ground for uh, television and film? Sure. Um, you know, I was working in really small theaters, so, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like, I mean, I know that sometimes, you know, theater actors, you have to give a bigger performance in the theater than you do when there's a camera on you. Right. So there, you know, there was a slight adjustment that um, I had to make, but I, you know, I don't think it was huge because I was always working in intimate theater spaces where you know you didn't, you know, you didn't have to like 
you know, I, I was working like, you know, 99 seats or less. So, yeah, I didn't have that thing where I was getting used to just emoting to hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Wow. You are a jack of all trades and master of all, Chaz. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, thank you. Any more books on the horizon? No, probably not. I mean, my, I mean, I can't say for sure, but, you know, my, once I found, you know, acting again and, and started, um, you know, actually it wasn't even when I started working. When I got back into acting class, I realized that I, you know, was so passionate about, about this and that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life and was willing to do whatever, you know, that took. So, um, you know, that's, pretty much where, where all my focus lies right now. Well, I'm so glad you found your way back to acting. We are the better for it, getting to see you in these various performances. And right now, as you said, it's on Tubi. It's free. Bury the Bride. That's uh, right. And everybody needs to watch it, especially it's late a, at it's night. A super, yeah, it's just a super fun horror, you know, horror film. It's it, To me, it, it's always felt kind of like a roller coaster where the, you know, the first third, you're kind of getting to know the characters, and it's like going up that hill on a roller coaster. And then as soon as as uh, the guys come into this, it just, you know, is like going like crazy, just so exciting, so much suspense, um, and a really great, you know, some really great, uh, uh, you know, twists and turns. So I think... I think audiences are going to really love it. I think they will, too, Chaz. I know I did, and I watched it in the middle of the night in the dark. Oh, no. I did. <laughs> I watched it in total darkness. On I'm on the couch. I had it. I did because it was. A, they sent me a link, and I did the cast right. to TV, so it's on my 55-inch TV. <laughs> <laughs> so... I thought that was the perfect way to watch it. I got to tell you. I got it. Yeah. So. For sure. So. And I will watch it again. I will watch it again. um, Because it is so fun. Chaz, this has been so wonderful to have you on the show. I hope that we get to chat again. I hope maybe you'll come back when Bellkeeper comes out. Oh. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. And it, it, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Oh, Chaz, thank you so much. And I can't wait for the next one. All right. Me too. <laughs> okay, Chaz, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. And that was Chaz Bono. I'm so excited that we had Chaz on the show today. Really excited. And, you know, and Dawn, yeah, we're going to get Dawn back on the show to talk about her other film that's out right now on the festival circuit, Finding Her Beat. Um, But be on the lookout for Minnesota Mean and Bury the Bride. It's on Tubi. It's free. um, And it's well worth a look. And trust me, watching it in the pitch dark in the middle of the night, oh, yeah, that's the way to watch Bury the Bride. That is all the time we have today. Next week. Next week. Oh, yeah. We have more people coming next week. Uh, So, (laughs) until then, 
And you're actually going to hear next week, I think you're going to hear part of my uh, red carpet interview with uh, Academy Award winning sound guru Ben Burt, uh, who has some great advice about sound for up-and-coming filmmakers and even independent filmmakers who somehow forget about sound in film. So look forward to that. Or if you want to jumpstart, go to BehindTheLensOnline.net or Behind the Lens Online on YouTube, and you can see Ben's interview in its entirety, talk giving his sage words of advice uh, about sound in film. So that's it. Until next week. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 